What's up, everyone, and welcome to The Corporate Bartender. I think you're going to dig today's episode. We're talking about post-pandemic careers, finding meaning and fulfillment, and transforming the paradigm of work and career. It's a big day. We're jazzed to have Misha Rubin on the show today. If you don't know Misha, you're missing out. Misha is a former Big Four partner and the creator of the Career Leap Method, a guided inquiry that helps folks get deep and unlock new possibilities in line with their values. Oh yeah, and he's got an album out on all your favorite streaming services. So buckle up, TCBers, grab your favorite cocktail, and let's get right on into it with Misha Rubin on today's TCB. Welcome to Sky Team's The Corporate Bartender. If you work in HR or make people decisions in your organization, this is the place to be. Now pull up a stool, belly up to the bar, and join us for The Corporate Bartender. Well, welcome, everybody. It's really good to see each and every one of you. It is Wednesday. It's Corporate Bartender Day. It's October 6th. We are squarely into Q4 now, episode number 104. And I just don't have it in me to take the party hat off the cocktail there on the slide. (laughs) She got that on our hundredth episode, and I think she's still partying. That's what mm-hmm. I think. Today's gonna be a fun day. We've got a guest today. We've got Misha Rubin with us today. Um, we'll get into some post-pandemic career stuff. We'll talk a little bit about um what happens. You know, the 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 pandemic gave everybody uh, a chance to do some soul searching and reassessment on where we spend our time and do we really want to keep doing the job that we Kind of fell into 25 years ago. Misha spends a lot of time with mid-career folks who are looking for happiness, engagement, and fulfillment in their work calling. So we'll talk a little bit about what happens uh, with those folks who find themselves on that quest. And then what do we as HR people do when our employees find themselves on that quest and they quest themselves on out of our companies? So we'll talk a little bit about that. We've got uh, Becca Ribbing coming up here on the 20th. Um, this is, uh, she's the author of the clarity journal. She talks beyond self-care talks about getting unstuck and finding momentum. So it's kind of a cool thing, right? We'll start here with Misha today on, on getting clear about what we want to be when we grow up. And then next time we'll get together with Becca and she'll tell us how to keep that ball rolling down the hill. So with that, a couple of news items for you. I wanted to shine the light on a couple of things um, that have been posted over on the Bartender Network in the last few days. Um, I don't know if you guys saw this. Karen posted, um, she actually posted a PDF of this proposal, essentially, that she got. I'm going to drop the link to it in chat so you guys guys can read it if you want to. Um, It's in a bartender post. There you go. It's this company called Kettle Health, and they have this health and safety platform, digital platform for vax mandates, return to work, uh, all sorts of things. It allows, the platform allows people to do vaccine verification. You can report COVID test results. Uh, It integrates with access control. So I'm assuming here, I I haven't gone deeply through the whole article, but I'm assuming that if you don't have your vaccination or you don't pass your test, your key card doesn't work anymore. It doesn't let you in the building. Um, but it seems like a really comprehensive system. So for those that are treading the line of vax mandates, and I know there are a few of you out there, um, 
I don't know, seemed like a potential option. And she wanted to share that with everybody. So I thought that was pretty cool. But, but um, gee, Excel spreadsheets are so efficient for this. Right? <laughs> Every, everybody loves a good Excel spreadsheet. Hey, you could upgrade to Google spreadsheets where people could see them at the same time. I don't know. I could. I could. But that's a whole <laughs> different corporate issue. It's true. It's true. Speaking of different corporate issues, we talked about this the other day when Laurel mentioned something on the network about choosing Zoom as your provider versus Slack. Right. Um, Morag and I had to facilitate a program today on Microsoft Teams. <laughs> yeah, big, big, big thumbs down on Teams. I, I've had to use Teams a few times. Normally, I'm I'm pretty savvy and conning clients into letting me host the platform. Uh, but this was a, a large corporate customer, and it was it was a no go with their IT. And it was interesting because even their IT was like, um, this doesn't work. I'm like, I'm like, I can't, I can't help you, bud. For example, we were doing uh, breakout rooms and we set a timer for the second breakout room for five minutes because it was a quick one. And then we were getting ready to do the third breakout. And uh, he said, how long should this one be? And I said, 10 minutes. And he goes, crap, I can't change the timer. It's stuck at five minutes. Can you make it five minutes? Because oh. that's what it's going to be. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. And this is this is this is a workshop with 120 attendees. So, yeah. Teams. No, thank you. That's what I have to say. Microsoft will not be sponsoring the corporate bartender. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, other article. Uh, actually, our pal Evans Mayhew posted this one. Um, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago about, uh, location based pay and how that's, how that's changing, how that's becoming sort of a, a thing of the past. But what's been really interesting here is there are a few tech companies that are holding steadfast onto that, um, where Google being the leader of that pack are still looking to, uh, reduce folks compensation if they move outside of their main metros, meaning, you know, New York and San Francisco being the two primary metros. And, um, and that is not only is that so stupid, but it's okay. I'm in Boulder. Google came into Boulder and now we have to pay a premium to get people to work in Boulder because they rate, they jacked, pay like 20 plus percent in an environment that was, you know, fairly decent, but not Bay area. Crazy. Or yeah. And they've probably done that in other places as well. And now they want to drive it back down. Yeah. Like, no, you caused this issue. You bleeper. <laughs> bleeper. And, and yeah. Didn't you like that? Wasn't that, you know, it's amazing what happens when you put that little record button on. Um, <laughs> And, but it, it's like, wait a minute, if I was worth X dollars sitting in your office, I should still be worth X dollars sitting wherever else I'm sitting. If you were paying too much, that's your own darn fault. And for those of us who pay too little, then we can't cut if you move to Arkansas because we'd be below minimum wage. So, you know, 
even for yeah. software developers. It's just yeah. doesn't work. It's 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 pretty fascinating. Lori, you came off mute. Did you have something to toss into the party here? Uh not at all. That was an accident. You know, back in the day it did it did work. It was very common. And for sure. That, that ship sailed. Yeah, I'm with you. It's interesting. Some of the things in this article, uh, you know, Google's a desirable employer, right? Um, there was there was a study uh, that Recode did. Fifty three percent of two hundred and thirty verified Google workers said they would think about leaving if they moved and had their pay cut. I mean, that's sure. half the the sort of statistic for the population writ large is sixty eight percent of professionals. But even in you know with all the perks of, of working at Google, half the people said, "Yeah, don't mess with my pay." Um, and it's interesting, too, because Googlers were more likely than the population at large, 30% to 22%, to, to have already moved outside of their metro. Yeah, sure. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, of the larger population, there was a study that of 753 organizations, and 95% of those companies said, yeah, we're not going to lower people's pay. We're just not going to do it. So it seems interesting that Google's out there on the tip of that spear. Um, one of the comments at the end of the article is kind of a kind of thrown in at the end. Uh, somebody was postulating that maybe this is a strategy to weed people out of Google and they're going to be right. I thought, well, that's pretty sneaky. Um, right. We just did a vaccine mandate instead. <laughs> that's a weed out tool for sure. Yeah. Didn't work. We only lost two people. Oh, and they probably weren't the ones you were trying to trying to lose either. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but two out of 380, let's call it. Whereas when you survey people, 40% or something say, oh, if they mandated, I'm out of here. Yeah, I mean, pro probably not true. <laughs> I, I had people, I, I had so many of those 11th hour vaccinations come through. Right. Right. <laughs> the I'm never getting that. And then here it comes. Right. Boom. Oh, it was this huge game of chicken last week. Oh, that yeah, must be fun for you as the HR person. Oh, yeah. It, and then, yeah. Yikes. I, I was drinking heavily last week. Yeah, I'm in the throes <laughs> of that right now. Our deadline's the 18th. So oh, lucky literally you. I'm chasing people around. I was oh. like, I told my boss, I feel like you know, um, the CDC or something, or, you know, um, <laughs> yeah. or who, you, you know, <laughs> you, you guys are, you guys are like 90 something percent though, right? You're plus yeah, 90. We're, we're, we're about 95, 97%, but it's those, it's you know, 10 people that we're chasing around who are, like I said, playing chicken and it's just ridiculous. So Yvonne, see, Yvonne. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Laurel. <laughs> Three days before a deadline. Okay, the, well, the deadline was Thursday. On Tuesday, prior, we uh, my sidekick did an exit interview, and the woman dropped a uh, racial and sexual harassment charge on the exit interview. Oh, I had one of those this week too. Yeah, it was. Oh. It was like my boss treats me poorly, <laughs> uh, yeah. yelling at me. Yeah, mm. I was like, well, thanks oh. for sharing, even though you were here five years and that said nothing. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and, and you know, yeah. and you know, being a dick is not illegal. 
<laughs> well, not, that's it. And not that's a protected class. Our, yeah. <laughs> He's an equal opportunity dick. Yeah. So. <laughs> Misha, you don't know what you're getting yourself into with this group right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad Ruby on. wasn't. I was Ruby. like, you didn't warn me. <laughs> <laughs> Yvonne, you said, I, I noticed in chat, I just want to want to say it out loud. Um, you decided to keep everyone's salary the same, regardless of locale. Yeah. Was, was that a, a, a tough decision or was that something that you guys were all pretty much? Yeah, that's we're on board with this. No, we, we chatted about it for a couple. It took us months to get there. However, <laughs> the reason why um, we decided to do it was twofold. Um, it we didn't want to take anything away from people. And we also wanted to be fair to people that we had purposely placed in areas, bump their salary to the DC salary um, uh, because they were making far less, you know, maybe 25% less based on the locale because DC is a very expensive place to live. Mm-hmm. And so we decided, you know what, we're just going to um, pay at the DC rate. It makes it easier on our compensation partner um, because we don't have to do, worry about what locale you're in. And if you live in a place that plays more than DC, then we'll deal with it on a case-by-case basis. And so it was literally laziness and fairness all wrapped up in one. It's fine line between laziness and fairness, Yvonne. <laughs> No. Yeah, but we had some people that that made made out. You know, they were making maybe a hundred thousand dollars in Alabama, and they're making now one hundred and thirty thousand living in Alabama. So good luck living large, for them. yeah, and in <laughs> South Bama, Lama. I love it. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it's an interesting conversation, right? And I, I think I think it's one that's going to continue uh, as as things start to settle, um, because to Laurel's point, back in the day, it made sense and it worked. And anymore, especially in the knowledge economy, it I don't know that it does, right? Um, and companies making choices, I mean, because it works, it's it's two-sided coin, right? Companies make choices to be somewhere because historically, because of talent, right? If you were a tech company, you wanted to be in Silicon Valley because that's where the talent was. That dynamic is changing too. And as a as a CEO of a company, do I want to put my company in the middle of a really expensive place to be, or can I leave it in Evansville, Indiana, and do that from there? And I think I think that's going to be a that's going to be a thing to watch over over the next couple of years. And I think we're going to see that the sort of peaks and valleys of of geographic compensation sort of smooth out into some quasi national range. At least that's what I think. We'll see. All right. Well, as always, good good talk, Russ. Good talk. <laughs> Today we've got a guest. We've got Misha. Misha's Misha Rubin. He's a he's a career educator. He's an entrepreneur. He's a speaker. He has has done his time in corporate America. I think he was a twenty year. Were you a twenty year person in corporate America, Misha? Twenty years inside the corporate machine. He, uh, a, little, a little more, but let's leave it at 20. <laughs> I think 20 is enough. 20 is a, it's a nice round number, right? Yeah. Misha was, Misha was a partner at Ernst & Young. He managed over $100 million worth of projects. He advised a lot of people. And since then, he's guided a lot of careers. His personal quest has always been about finding meaning and fulfillment, right? And that's what produced 
his baby. His baby is called the career leap. And it's a method. It's a pragmatic method for elevating people, finding clarity about what they want to do next. And it's focused largely on mid-career folks. So, so folks like us who have done things for 20 years or whatever. Um, apart from doing that, he, uh, Misha's a musician. You can actually go out onto the streaming services and you can listen to, to the Misha album. There's some stuff out there for you. I've been, when he joined me today, I was listening to it. I'll just give you a little, a little taste of the Misha record here. His record is called, Are We Ready? And uh, Misha, you have a different surname in, in, in the music world. Will you I pronounce this surname for, for, for our folks here? I know, I, I really made it difficult. It's Misha Louvre, that's my artist name. L-Y-U-V-E. So you look for Misha Louvre out on Spotify and Apple Music. It's his side project. He hasn't done it in a while, though, because he adopted three, count them, three kids. He's got two twin girls who are eight and a boy who's aged 11. So he is right in the thick of being kid Uber driver. Misha, welcome to the program. Everybody, let's give it up for Misha. You get walk-on music and everything, Misha. That's how we oh my roll God, around it's here. so much fun. Okay. <laughs> well, hey. As we get into the conversation, you know, when we ask, when people join the, the bartender, we always ask them a few questions. So we're going to put you through the same treatment that we would put you through if you were just a normal person coming to hang out with us. We ask people where they are, what they do, because we know who you are. And we ask for one really boring fact about them. Boring. So where are you? What do you do? And what is one really boring fact about Misha Rubin? You know, we recently moved out of New York City. So right now I live with foxes and uh, deer in Westchester, New York. Um, what was the second question? Sorry, I closed the What track. do you do? How do you characterize what you do? I say that I'm career educator. I teach people about careers, how to discover them, how for them to understand why they are not happy or not fulfilled, how to guide them to find right careers for them. I work with mid-career professionals, but I recently launched the first program for high school and college students. Oh, and I cool. also, I work with executives. So I also work with leaders and, and uh, CEOs. I have a program for an organization, how to transform organization into values-driven organization. And I also work with people that retire, thinking to retire. So people who organizations that want to make a leap, I, I have a lot to say. Well, you cover the whole spectrum there from high school to people looking to retire. Who's easiest to work with of those groups? Is it the high schoolers or is it the mid-career people? Who, who, who's the easiest group to work with? I think mid-career people I understand the best. The high schooler was like, oh my God, I need to talk to all these teenagers. It was like a new, it was a new territory for me, but you know, I did okay. You know, <laughs> I'm just piloting my high schoolers. <laughs> so uh, tell us a little bit about the career leap. How did it come to be? I understand you were in a meeting and had this epiphanal sort of moment when mm. you decided that this was a thing that was calling you. 
you know, like for, you know, I started my career and maybe for you guys will be familiar. Maybe you have a lot of people like me, you know, I started um, jumping a new job every two years. That was my beginning. And then I took a year off to find my passion. That was fashionable those times. I had a great time. I didn't discover what I was looking for. And then I did you go, did you go backpacking across Europe? Is that what you did? I moved to Spain. Yeah. I lived in Madrid at fabulous time. Ruby's super jealous. I can see it on her face. (laughs) I I can't even tell you all the stories, but it was really great. Now, uh, and then I, you know, took a traditional route. So I stayed with one organization for 15 years. I, you know, I joined Ernst & Young as a, as a manager. And then suddenly my career was going up. And the next thing I knew I was a, a partner. Everybody was like, oh, Misha, you're doing so well. And I did, you know, like, honestly, as an immigrant coming into the United States, I, States, I couldn't have imagined, you know, being that successful and making that much money and doing all these things. And I remember this particular meeting that I was sitting in, and I call it like the meeting where a moment of truth happened, right? So, and it was truly a moment of choice because on one hand, I did have this great career and I knew what I was doing. But on the other hand, I knew that I was paying some other price for that, you know? Mm-hmm. And that on the other side, I really didn't have an idea what I wanted to do. I had three small kids, I'm a breadwinner in the family. You know, so it wasn't like a light, light. That's a fun conversation to come home and share with the spouse. So don't want to do this anymore. (laughs) Yeah, I'm lucky to have a very supportive spouse. (laughs) But yeah, you know, it was like, oh, my God, you know, and it was kind of going that way. But there was this moment when it was, was like there is. I just knew it was time. And at that time, you know, I started developing, I was very interested in personal development. And, you know, I, so I developed several brands, educational brands where I had worked with other teachers, but then one July morning, I woke up and suddenly I had the answer, you know, like I knew exactly why I wasn't happy and I had language for it. And I knew how to articulate it to others and how to help others. And given like, I have this, <laughs> you know, I'm, I have, my curse is opposite from, uh, procrastination. It's like when I have an idea, I run like crazy <laughs> executing it, which ha- has its own faults. Uh, so I pretty much next day developed a, you know, a simple website, posted on LinkedIn, on Facebook, got my first three students and everything else is history. So since then I've been working with people one-on-one and groups. I've been teaching, I've been speaking on podcasts at, at live events at, I've been educating people about careers. I've never spoken to HR professionals, but and I'm and I was telling Eric that every time I talk to kind of a different audience, oh my God, that makes me come up with millions of ideas. So I, I can see tomorrow I'll be like doing something crazy. <laughs> <laughs> because we'll, we'll, you will you will inspire me, like how I can help HR professionals. We'll get uh, we'll get a link to the HR leap. How to get the hell out of HR? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, HR leap, you guys, it's the same as other career leaps. But I think as HR professionals, you're probably facing a very unique dilemma, right? You are in many ways, a face of this organization, right? You're repre- mm-hmm. representing this organization to these people. So you kind of like really in the midst. So I find it's a, it's a fascinating role. It's an important role. So um, yeah, so I'm very excited to talk to you. 
Well, tell us a little bit about the career leap. What is it? How did you come up with it? And, and, and what does it aspire to do for the people who participate in it? Yeah. So I work with, with a person, I will define it, a competent, unfulfilled professional, somebody who is educated enough, good at work, good at what they do enough, maybe successful enough, but not fulfilled at their job, right? And very often, these people are just stuck. They might have tried some to do some things and make some changes, but they end up like, I don't even know, where do I start? How do I look? And they have all these concerns about, do I have the right skills? Maybe I'm too old. Maybe I won't be able to support my family. You know, there's all this paradigm of thinking that happens. So, so I developed this methodology that fundamentally consists of two pieces. Uh, so the first piece is really around discovery. Uh, and my methodology is based around what I call unique career criteria. So as individuals, we have some very unique qualities, preferences, the way of, of being that represent us. And if we just knew what they are, right? So imagine, you, you guys, imagine if you worked in an organization that that's aligned with your values and you were solving the problem that's aligned with your values. If you were doing the work that's, fits your strengths that's built built on your strengths if the mechanism if, if you if the setup of the work was such that you were motivated and your motivation mechanism would kick in and your you we all have this interpersonal profile so the way you build relationship and interact with in, internal or external folks is aligned with your interpersonal profile so if you were that i call this is your thrive zone right so in that place what naturally would occur you would be enthusiastic you would be committed to results you would grow and you would be in your peak performance it would be just a natural outcome so the question is how do you know yourself right so you know all these different pieces and then if you actually know them then from there you can first of all you will be immediately clear why you're not fulfilling your current job you know it will be abundantly clear because some, there's some type of a mismatch the second of all we build what i call a career leap map which is a, a comprehensive list of ideas of where and what you could be doing and then from there my students select their leaps, right? And sometimes it's more than one. They, they could create a longer term leap and a shorter term leap. Some of them decide to start their businesses. So there's a lot of different options and how it works. So the first part of my method is discovery. And discovery, basically knowing what to do is a function of knowing who you are. So in discovery, you get to know and articulate who you are and choose a direction for yourself um, inside of that. And then the second piece, is the pursuit. So it's about how now that you know what it is you want, how you go after it. And I develop an unorthodox way of looking for jobs, right? So the traditional way, you know, there's all these job postings that happening on LinkedIn and other places. And I honestly think you can definitely find a job that way. But to find that dream job, the ones that's meaningful, fulfilling, the ones that's right for you, I think it's a slim chance of finding mm -hmm. through job posts. So I developed a methodology of how you can actually identify organizations that, you know, want to, to that that are solving the type of problem that you want to solve, and that are aligned with your unique career criteria. And from there, how do you communicate with them? How do you get noticed? So I teach my students to write what I call a magic letter, and the reason that I call it magic because the intention is to produce a nonlinear outcome. 
right? So you want somebody who doesn't know you, who never heard about you, respond to you, right? So, and, you know, I, the, the principles of that communication, you got to be authentic, you got to be relevant, and you got to be transparent. And I'm sure as HR professionals, you're probably driven, you, 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 they probably drive you crazy with these communications that's like, oh my God, you don't even know, you know, as if you didn't, didn't even do research who you're sending this cover letter to, right? <laughs> you're probably familiar with that, right? So, what? I, yeah. <laughs> but if you write actually in authentic way, what is the problem you want to solve? Why? If you really understand what that organization is, what are the goals? What is the person who is the person that you're writing to? And you be transparent potentially about your gaps, about there is a magic happens and that happens over and over again with my students. And then from there, I teach my students how to interview because the traditional interview model is that they, meaning you guys, interviewing, you know, a, a candidate and where the candidate is trying to pretend to, the, to be the best they, they could ever be, right? And inside of that, there is something that's actually being lost for both parties. So I, I say, if you are authentic, relevant, and transparent, you will give enough information to your potential employer to make a decision whether you're the right candidate for them. But instead of focusing on your performance, you should be actually asking question about that organization to make sure that the organization, the team, your manager is the right fit for you. And then from there, I teach them how to negotiate. So that's like a full-blown pursuit module. And then yeah. underneath all of that, I work through mindset because as humans, we develop disempowering beliefs and those beliefs actually um, don't allow us to see certain opportunities that are in front of us. By the way, a lot of people give up on their career change because they actually don't even understand what's, what, what are the opportunities they have. And of course, it makes your pursuit much more complicated and much more painful. So I do whole work around mindset. Yeah, and my intention that people find meaningful, fulfilling careers where they can be successful, that work for their lives, that where they thrive, right? Thrive is the key word here. It's, it's, it's fascinating. Um, and so many things have popped to my mind. Um, you know, just listening to the methodology bit, <clears throat> and this will date me, seriously. It reminds me a little bit of um, anybody here familiar with the book, What Color Is Your Parachute? Yeah, right. That's that book goes back to the late 70s, early 80s. And, you know, back then it was it was about finding companies that you were aligned with out of the phone book, because that's that was the data source that we all had available to us. Um, so I, I, I like I like this notion of, of finding something that aligns with who you are. And I love this concept of the discovery process of trying to figure out, OK, so what is it that I'm all about? Right. And, and what do I want to do or be? Um, and I, I think I've got your next product right here, Misha. It's popped into my head as, as you were talking. One of the things that we as HR people struggle with a lot um, is career pathing. It, it's a, a challenge inside of a lot of organizations. It's one of those things, you know, I spent most of my career working in technology companies and startups. And it's one of those things where when you go to the CEO, when you've got 50 people and you say, look, we got to start thinking about career pathing. He's like, yeah, I'm trying to figure out how to make payroll this week. So that's not a thing that I'm going to talk about. And it's not until, you know, now it's five years later and we're 300 people big 
And the CEO comes to the HR person and says, Eric, we got to do something about career pathing. And I'm like, hey, dude, I've been saying this since day 12. <laughs> and it's a little late right now to, to start that. So as a, as a consultant, I've worked with a lot of companies who are established brands that have been around for a long time and they have no internal career pathing mechanism. So what they have is they have this population of people that say, look, I know I'm good at this job, but I don't want to do this job forever. I don't know what else I can do here. So rather than find a place where they can thrive inside the organization, they leave, right? right. What if there was a mechanism for us to go through this discovery process and this pursuit process with opportunities that are internal to the organization? Because we lose so much talent. It, it, listening to you tell the story, it made me think about this, this project that I worked on. I used to work for a large telecom company. And we did, we did a, sort of a talent accounting, right? So we went off and we carved off a population of, of employees, you know, high potential employees, whatever. Um, and we interviewed them all to find out what they did prior to the job that they're doing, prior to coming to our company. Right. You know, because you have a person that's, you know, a director in marketing, but, you know, once upon a time back in the day, they used to work in finance, right? So when we were coming at it from a succession planning process, like who could we use as an emergency fill that's not one of the usual suspects, right? Um, but like most HR initiatives, we interviewed 100 people, we processed all the data, and then we did a big fat nothing with it, right? So, um processes like yours, I, I can see in my head a space for them inside of organizations to prevent this talent outflow that we're all struggling with right now. Right now, you know, we're, we're dealing with what's been dubbed the great resignation because people, as a result of COVID and, and a lot of time alone, are sort of reevaluating what's important to them. Right. And there's no mechanism for them to see if there's anything that aligns mm -hmm. with what's important to them inside the organization that they're already in. Right. So what are the things that we as HR people can do? Are there any method or components of, of, of your ideas that you know, if, if only HR people would ask a question, could we help stave off this, this, this outflow of talent that we're seeing? Yeah. So I would say maybe there are two things that I see here. One is this is a big thing. So in, and maybe you guys can also help me a little bit here. I think the first and foremost, people leave organization because, and people don't feel fulfilled because they not align to the values of organization. It's, it's really that fundamental and organization and their values. It's a very interesting thing, you know, because some organizations don't talk about their values. Some organization put something on their, on, on their, you know, website or some corporate memos. Posters I in the lobby, yeah. Posters in the <laughs> lobby. Like to me, something that was fundamental about values, and maybe let me give you an example of Ernst & Young because that kind of, so Ernst & Young used to have, um, the tagline used to be quality in everything we do, which is a very unsexy tagline, but it, but it was so true because our clients cared about quality. We had a lot of quality controls and every person was evaluated on quality. So if you think if there is a value, 
and it's propagates through business practices, through measurements, through performance, through your financial rewards, right? Then that value becomes a true value of the organization. Mm-hmm. If you are working in organization or solving a problem and you're not, your values are not aligned with that, it actually doesn't matter what you do. So what you do is less important than where you work. It just, mm-hmm. that's the thing. If you, if you, so for organization, so I think it's a lot of soul searching for organization. And I don't know whether the boards, the senior management, the CEOs are willing to do that. Do we want to be a value-driven organization? And value-driven organization means, listen, we all like, I get it. We all want to make money and, you know, be, be responsible to shareholders and keep Wall Street. I get all of that. But if there is something higher than that that drives the organization, I think that's that organization will attract then um, talent that has these values. So I don't disagree with you. And and what you're saying is making me think, you know, we, we work with a few values-driven organizations. Um, they're, you know, they, they work in the educational space. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So you can ask anybody in the building, what do you do? And they know, and they have a short one-line answer for what they do about teaching kids to read or educating kids or, or whatever. Um, and for the most part, the organization does that. And, and, and they, <laughs> what I find really interesting is that people who work for these sort of mission driven orgs, Mm-hmm. They have a high pain threshold. They like being identified with that organization. So right. they put up with, they put up with a little bit more bullshit than, than normal yeah. people do. Yeah. Um, and in working with executives in mission driven organizations, they want to be values driven. They believe they are. Right. But when you get two or three levels deep in the organization, it's just not being handled in the same way. Mm. Right. So as HR people, right, we see both sides of that coin. We see what the, what the C-suite is, is trying to accomplish. We know what our external marketing says about who we are. And we know that because of people's high pain thresholds, um, we've allowed some less than stellar managers up into, you know, manager, director, VP ranks that I see people laughing um, that aren't doing it the way that we ought to be doing it. Um, so from, from an HR perspective, knowing that we're in this time of, of sort of soul searching and reevaluation, is there anything we can do Misho? I mean, to, to stave off the, the outflow to, to get us refocused on being a values driven organization. I would say that organization that has leadership committed to values that that propagating values down is much simpler problem that if the organization, if the the leadership is not committed to it. So that's, so I think if organization is truly committed to it, to me, what's important that the values are being propagated in everything, right. In, how you, in your business practices, in your practices in employee, in performance management, in your internal communications, in your, so that becomes suddenly a criteria for the mm-hmm. things. It's not just something that you put on a website. 
But if your value is customer service, right? So for instance, then you suddenly think about HR should be treating their employees as customers, right? Then then leadership should treat their employees as customers, right? That, if that's if that's truly a value. So then employees can treat their customers <laughs> with with a value of customer. Then it would propagate. And then you would you would create metrics, including for leaders, you know, in terms of their leadership roles in how they interact with their employees, right? If your value is integrity, you know, then you look, you create that value and you operate inside of that value, you know, that's a high bar. Then you don't, you know, then you don't want leaders to cut corners and, you know, do some things that don't have integrity. Then you, they need to exemplify that. So I think propagating values is just remembering that values, it's a life thing. When I teach my students about values, I said, if there is one thing I can teach you, if you know your values, that's your best measure. Is that the right organization? Is that the right leader? Is that the right career? So values should be driving all the decision-making. And if employees see that, it's very hard not to notice this. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Uh, it, it makes me think of something that, that Ruby says all the time. Ruby's like, what did I say? Um, executives... Executives sometimes have a stilted view of what's actually going on inside of organizations. What Ruby says is, is the higher up the food chain you get, the less likely people are to tell you what's really going on. And um, I wonder if this values conundrum, right, is, is partially exacerbated by executives thinking that everything is cool. The values have propagated. Everything is hunky-dory. But two levels deep, that ain't what it feels like. And, and that's what's causing those frontline employees to have this sort of this disalignment, this misalignment with what they're about and what they feel like the company's about, despite what's on the website. Right. But I would say, like, think about how much organizations care about their financials, right? Mm -hmm. And what are all the things that created around their financials, right? There is an, you know, internal controls functions, there is internal audit, you know, there are socks, there's all these things that operate because financials are so important. Now, if the values are so important, then you need to have an audit of your values. You know, you need to see whether the business practices align with their values, whether their your, you know, your employer relationships align with your values. You need whether your performance management is aligned with your values. So I think that's a great way, you know, if you want to get feedback around your financials, you know, that's why you have internal audit. They will tell you what's wrong, whether you don't have controls, what's not being executed. So if you care about your values, A, you got to be committed that they propagating everything, that they not just words on the website or you actually you know, use them to drive your communication, to drive your performance management, to choose your clients, to create service offerings. I'm telling you, if it's truly engraved in the culture, employees will definitely feel the reason they don't feel it, it's only because it's just words someplace. <laughs> so that, that basically there is no real commitment to values. Employees, you, if you, if organization has true values, then 
people that have these values would be attracted to that organization. So if you look at Apple and look at what type of talent Apple was, because, you know, they they had values of innovation, of excellence, you know, it was true. It wasn't just words, you know, so they would attract that type of a talent. It would naturally happen. So if people, if, if your values are not propagating, then someplace they're not being true, that someplace they're just being words. <laughs> it's true. Right? It's funny hearing you talk about audits as as the perpetrator of many an audit of things as an HR person. I can tell you everybody loves a good audit. That's what everybody loves to line up for. Um, it, it's, it's, it's a fascinating thing. I, I want to kind of shift gears because we talked about this before, too. And I think the pandemic shined a light on it. And given the types of folks that you talk to, I'm, I'm sure you'll have an opinion. Um, education has changed and it was on a path to change, right? You know, the, the old school ideal of, you know, you graduate high school, you go get a four-year degree, you get an MBA, right? Whatever. Um, that's been changing. And companies like Google have been at the forefront of driving that kind of change. But the pandemic made us realize that going to a place to get a four-year degree and paying a lot of money may not make the most sense. So in your purview, given the work that you do and the people that you interact with, um, has the value of a college education changed and is it continuing to evolve? Yeah, I, I personally look forward to collapsing of our educational system because I think it's really um, unworkable, unmanageable, unnecessary in the way it is. Um, so the education that became, so first of all, you have and I have a lot of, my, my, my kids are younger, but I see it a lot of uh, children of my friends, right? So you have these kids that are very much shielded during the growing up time. So when, when children are shielded and don't have enough, the way we know who we are, right? Knowing what to do in life is function of knowing who you are. The way you know who you are by having a lot of experiences in life, that basically you have this experience and you get data points about what works for you, what doesn't. So suddenly you have that person, right? That actually doesn't have a lot of data points about who they are, that facing a question like, what do I do with my life? And what they do, they go and their parents spend, you know, a very extravagant amount of money for them to go and figure out what it is they want to do. <laughs> a great book that I highly recommend um, is uh, called Startup Nation. It's about actually Israel. And the author actually examines why Israel has so many innovative startups. And he looked at a lot of different factors of that. But one of the things he says that that kids don't go to college after school, you know, they serve in the army, then they go, they uh, travel the world, then they go, and then they come back, you know, in once they actually have a lot of data points about themselves, right? They learned a lot about themselves. And then they go, it's like, oh my God, I want to do it. And then when they choose to study, they actually have a purpose, have a meaning, they know why they're doing it, right? Versus, I think, U.S. education, you know, a lot of these people end up suddenly for the first time, they end up outside of their home. They You're right. Up, right, outside of the control of their parents. So and they, they go do, bananas. Exactly. So they actually <laughs> want to do all these other things that they didn't get a chance to do living at their parents' home. And they 
a lot of them, of course, don't have an idea of what it is they want to do. And they forced to make some choices and they will pay for these choices later on. So I think that whole paradigm is just unworkable. Um, so, and the, the cost of education, the value of education, the purpose of education, it's kind of really, none of it, it's truly makes sense. Uh, so, and, and honestly, right now you, you know, Harvard business school announced that they will have remote classes. So, so you not only pay these enormous amount of money, but suddenly right. you do it online. Well, really, you know, I don't want to compare it to Harvard, but if you go <laughs> want to get an MBA nowadays, you can get it online for, if you want to get some scalable skills in technology and marketing in, you know, in a lot of uh, disciplines, you really don't need to be in college. And I think it's just reality. And Khan I, Academy, I, baby, Khan Academy, right? <laughs> and, and, and what I really wish that um, people don't rush with college, that they actually get to go and live life then I'm just trying to think about how I'll do it with my parents. You know, maybe like I would encourage my kids to take a year off and go and volunteer in Africa. I don't know, do something with their lives. Try to start a business. Nowadays, you can start a business when you're in, in, in a teenager. There's nothing stopping you if you want to be interpreted. There are so many things you can do. And then you can say, okay, now I know what I want to do. So then, listen, then college might make actually sense if you clear about what it is you want to do and what is your end goal and graduate degree the same thing i think you know right now college is not enough everybody has need, need to get a graduate degree on top of college and maybe sometimes there is a value to that but i think people are overeducated, and i don't think it necessarily brings the value that they expecting to that's kind of i also don't want to put like this a blank statement you right. know, this, actually it is kind of a blank statement i understand in individual situations it could work out differently but i think generally that's my view i love it i love it thank you misha thanks so much for hanging out with us today um if people want to connect with you or learn more about the career leap where do we go online to find you so you guys, uh, there are two places where you go. If you want to learn more about me, go to MishaRubin.com. You'll see pretty pictures of me and interviews and even links to my album. You can dig it out there. And see? then, and maybe some music videos, maybe that will get you going. And then, uh, but if you, as HR professionals thinking about, maybe I should make a career leap. Like I am ready for my career leap. I've been thinking about it. I'm ready. You go to the careerleap.com. My next program starts on November 17th. I do magic with my students. Um, you can set up time with me. I'm happy to chat. Um, this is me. I, I, I think, I think Laurel's already registered for that yeah, course. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Let me see. I just got a text. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, any questions for Misha before we shift into our funny things cocktail and good feel story and get out of here? I have a, I, oh, Lori has a question too. Do you want me to go? Go, Ruby. Okay. Um, thinking about, I feel like I've been encountering a lot of people who are at this burnout level, especially over the past six months. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering what's the um the differentiator for me to know or the telling sign that I'm I, I'm not really in a career leap place but I'm burned out yeah, yeah okay so why people burned out there are several reasons mm-hmm. to that so yeah. again it starts with they're not clear who they are they're not clear about mm-hmm. their values yeah. they're not clear they might not be not clear about their boundaries 
and they or might they not be uh, willing or able or might be afraid to communicate that with their leadership. So where I would look, so if you see that people are burned out, I would look, uh, I would help people to understand what are their boundaries are. And I would create an environment where they could communicate their boundaries to their seniors. Yeah, I think getting clear on those boundaries is a challenge. Yeah. You know, I, I, think, I know that, sorry, hey, go ahead, Ruby. Well, I think that people leave jobs and professions because they're just tired, but that may not be the answer. Because they create right, the same problem in the next job. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> actually, so. creating boundaries is actually very simple. That, that's yeah. that's this is this is complete misconception. It's just people mm -hmm. don't think about it. Nobody teaches mm -hmm. them how to do that. It's actually very simple. I can sit down with any person and say, "What is your boundary? Like, what what is your boundary? Like, how much time are you willing to work a week? Mm -hmm. You know, or how like what is what are the hours? Like, if you have you you know." Actually, setting up boundaries, it's a very straightforward exercise. Mm -hmm. It's just nobody asks people to do that. Nobody teaches people how to do that. And then if there is no culture to do that, then people actually, even if they have idea of their boundaries, they terrify to communicate them. That's yes. that's the kicker, right? The culture yeah. bit. Because, I, you know, I have ideas about what my boundaries are. And then I just, I, feel, I change them, right? I work all the time because... I feel obligated or I see somebody else working and I think, oh, well, I should probably be, I should probably be working too, right? The social yeah. pressure yeah. of that. Yeah. And holding to those things, even, even if I think I'm clear on what they ought to be, is hard if there's no sort of cultural imperative to do so, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? And that, I guess that goes back to what you're saying about, about being a values-driven organization. Makes sense. Yeah, it all comes to personal, like, again, if you understand your personal values, it's also it's much easier to put boundaries. And then also if organization has the right values and you mismatch in the values, it's also much easier to communicate them. So yes, it's, I think the values is the best criteria you have for everything. So I think as HR professionals, you have, this is for the complexity of your job. And I get it because you're kind of torn between two things. On one hand, you have your personal values and then you need to see whether your personal values are matched this organization that you're representing. Because if there is a mismatch, every time you're talking to candidate, you need to do some soul twist, you know? Right. Right. So that's your, your first thing. And then the second thing is with a candidate because they have their their values. So you need to be able to evaluate them from organization perspective. So that's why I think your job is like so heavy, especially if you're not working in an organization that you aligned, that you are behind what it is they doing. Yeah. I think you guys got a new hashtag, soul twist. I wrote that down. That's a good one. Thanks, Visha. <laughs> Lori, did you have a question? Not a question, just kind of a comment tagging on to when you're talking when you originally started talking about bringing your values and what have you. And I think this has come up a number of times with different guests is about bringing your whole self to work. And I love that you shared, you know, for example, the music piece that that seems to be a, a common theme with a lot of us, but people at work and kind of that part and parcel to the whole burnout piece is they're only bringing part of themselves or they're only revealing yeah. part of themselves. They're not letting the company know all about them and, you know, this whole COVID era has been very revealing, I think, to people that they can't hide and um, in, a, in a good way that they're able to say, hey, yeah, here's my kid running through the room, you know, right. or me, my dog, you know, coming over here and bothering me. Um, but 
I think it's really great that companies are, a lot of companies are recognizing the importance of everybody's other parts to them. And I think it's important also that companies periodically do a census in a good way of what are the skills and talents and what are their experiences and um, what are what do people bring to the table? And then from there, yeah, that career path, I mean, that is, that's huge, I think. That would be a really great way to show that the company cares about the individuals if they take it that step further for them to say, hey, we have a place for here, a place for you here long-term. So this is what I will respond to you, Lori. So I think, I find it great that organizations want that. And this is the danger that they use it as, as a cover-up, right? <laughs> so if the organization actually doesn't have, is not aligned, you know, doesn't have values or not aligned with the values they're communicating, or then it becomes a hack, bring yourself to work so people feel better. And what I found, it's kind of like this temporary, temporary remedy. I also don't think it works in the long term. I, I'm still for it. I think it's better to have them than not. But on the other thing, if, if, if there is truly no value alignment, it's just another hack. Mm-hmm. You know, like sometimes you put, you know, you go to some of the big banks website and they talk about, you know, their community work or community banking or, and then if you really understand that it's like only a tiny fraction (laughs) of what it is, but it's so, uh, they talk about inclusiveness, they talk about all these things that kind of shining on the surface, but if you look at fundamentally, what is the amount of time, money, effort people it's probably a fraction so again it becomes like an icing on on a mud pie so that's just to watch out for that gross sorry so we got soul twist which was so profound and then we got icing on a mud pie thanks misha all right misha thank you so much for being here big ups big tcb thank you to misha thank you this has been awesome I, i i love the ideas Please connect with Misha um, and and reach out to him. Uh, Ruby had put into chat, Misha, something for you. She said, Misha, love your emphasis on values. Thank you so much for the beautiful and magical work that you do in the world. Thank you. And you guys, I just also want to say, because I really, the world of HR is new to me. I would be happy to chat with you just to chat, not about Kareli, but I would like to understand better what is your experience and what are the things that you're dealing with. So if you in any way, you know, resonating and your values resonating with mine, just reach out to me. Let's just chat. Love it. Love it. Thanks, Misha. All right. Today's funny things. Funny thing. Number one, these are pretty funny. Uh, never been angrier in my life for not coming up with an idea first. Man stole $122 million from Facebook and Google by simply sending them random bills, which they paid. <laughs> Genius. Right? But I think number two, just had to show a cop my driving passport on the way to buy alcohol with my age passport. Maybe later I'll go to Costco with one of my capitalism passports. <laughs> So shut up about vaccine passports already. Uh, This one made me laugh. If you are a spicy nugget, I know a place where you can get a job. It says, spicy nuggets, we are hiring. (laughs) Uh, That's aligned with my values. (laughs) (laughs) This one from the why doesn't this exist department. 
You should be able to decline an incoming thought. <laughs> uh, this for my for my North Plains people, my apple people. I found it the best apple variety in the orchard, Ludacrisp. There we go. <laughs> and my favorite funny thing today: just had my phone incorrectly autocorrect ducking to fucking, which means I've won. I've finally broken its spirit. How does failure taste, Demon Box? <laughs> I live for the day that it goes the opposite way, right? Today's today's good feel story is a quickie. Enjoy this one. Before we go, a Pennsylvania waiter is gaining national attention for his unexpected act of kindness toward an elderly customer. Facebook photos show Eaton Park server Dylan Teetle joining a 91-year-old military veteran at his dinner table. After kneeling down to take his order, Dylan realized the man could use some company. He was talking about the war, some of the injuries he had, some of the places he's been, his family. Tears were running down his face. Like, you could just tell this man hasn't had a true caring person to talk to him in a long time. I believe that you've given someone five minutes of your day and just completely rearrange how they look at life itself, honestly. During their conversation, other customers took notice. The person who snapped the pictures wanted to take care of the gentleman's bill, only to learn yeah. someone else already had. Oh, but look at that. the back of Dylan's T-shirt. It sums it up. Your smile makes yeah. my day. Yeah. See, more than just a slogan. Yeah. More than just a slogan, see? I know. There's a lot of nice people out there. I believe that every day. That'll do it for us. We'll see you tomorrow. Take it easy. Bye-bye. So being aligned with values, I was going to do a funny cocktail, but you know what? We all need to hydrate, y'all. Today's semi <laughs> quarantine cocktail is cool, crisp water. <laughs> cool, crisp water, everybody. Thank you again to Misha. It was lovely having you here today. Please connect with them if you have questions or comments. Please reach out. Uh, Misha, you're welcome to join us over on the Bartender Network. I'll send you a link to that. Um, other than that, guys, thank you. Wednesdays are my favorite days, and you guys are my favorite people. We'll see you next week. Have a good night. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you had a good time and learned a thing or two at today's happy hour, please share it with your friends. If you want to join our tribe, head on over to skyteam.cloud forward slash TCB or email us at info at skyteam.com. That's S-K-Y-E team.com. Thanks again. And remember, you've always got friends at the Corporate Bartender.